0: Need help sharing your faith with a Latter-day Saint friend? Introducing Christianity to Mormons by Eric Johnson may help. Available at the Utah Christian Research Center, 579 West Galena Park Place in Draper, Utah. Open Wednesday through Saturday at 10 a.m. Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism.
1: Can the LDS Church revoke irrevocable doctrines? Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. And with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. In yesterday's show, we continued our look at a conference message given by Dallin H. Oaks of the First Presidency. It was titled, Kingdoms of Glory. And in this talk, he's explaining the three degrees of glory as they are understood in LDS theology, and not only what they are, but what is required in order to reach the top level of the celestial kingdom, which is also known as the Church of the Firstborn. There are not only three degrees of glory, celestial, terrestrial, and telestial kingdoms, where humankind will eventually end up, depending on what they believed and what they did during this lifetime. But within the celestial kingdom, there are three more levels. And as we were discussing yesterday, you don't often hear Latter-day Saint leaders talk about the second, and third level. It's always about the top level, because that's where you really get all the perks of exaltation. This is where you're allowed to be married for time and eternity. You're also going to be able to have the power to organize matter and create your own world that you will be able to rule over, just as Heavenly Father is ruling over this one that we live on right now, Oakes said that one of the reasons why the church exists is to prepare God's children for salvation in the celestial glory and more particularly for exaltation in its highest degree. Now, in yesterday's program, we were talking about what Oakes would say later on when it came to the proclamation of the family. This was a, a decree that came out in 1995. You can merely Google it, just title Proclamation of the Family 1995, and you can print it out. It's not a very long statement, it's just a barely over a page. And in that, it said, "...we, the First Presidency, and the Council of the Twelve Apostles of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints solemnly proclaim that marriage between a man and a woman is ordained of God." and that the family is central to the Creator's plan for the eternal destiny of His children. Now, I threw in yesterday what had happened in late January. The church hired a man by the name of Aaron Sherinian, who is a very pro-LGBTQ individual. He's posted on that subject. And he said a lot of things that undermine the proclamation of the family. And so the question we were kind of asking yesterday is, why is the church hiring someone like this who doesn't seem to hold to the same views? Is this a political move of some sort? Is this to placate some of the voices within the church that's pressuring the church to get away from its more traditional positions when it comes to marriage between a man and a woman? Because Oakes makes the statement here that those who do not fully understand the father's loving plan for his children may consider this family proclamation no more than a changeable statement of policy. In contrast, Oak says, we affirm that the family proclamation founded on irrevocable doctrine defines the mortal family relationship where the most important part of our eternal development can occur. The question I was asking yesterday is, what does Oakes mean when he uses the phrase irrevocable doctrine? Is he using it in a way to describe the fact that in Mormonism, if something is declared a doctrine, it can never be revoked? Is that what he's saying? Or is he merely saying that this particular doctrine cannot be revoked? And see, this is what becomes confusing, and why I asked the question at the beginning of the show. When you look at the proclamation of the family, it very clearly says that it's God's plan, the Creator's plan, that marriage be between a man and a woman, singular. But that's not what the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was always based on, as I mentioned yesterday. It was Brigham Young, and he said this on August 19th, 1866. The only men who become gods, even the sons of God, are those who enter into polygamy. Not only that, but
2: that very same Brigham Young in 1862, Journal of Discourses, Volume 9, page 322, said, Monogamy, or restrictions by law to one wife, is no part of the economy of heaven among men. He goes on and criticizes the idea of monogamy, one man, one woman, because that's how the Romans used to do it. And he says, Thus, This monogamic order of marriage, so esteemed by modern Christians as a holy sacrament and divine institution, is nothing but a system established by a set of robbers. So he's saying monogamy is not of the economy of heaven, and where did he get such an idea that polygamy was good? He gets it, Bill, directly from the founder of this religion, Joseph Smith. In fact, he says in the Journal of Discourses, Volume 11, Page 128, he said, So far as I am concerned as an individual, I did not ask for it, referring to polygamy. I never desired it. And if I ever had a trial of my faith in the world, it was when Joseph Smith revealed that doctrine to me, and I had to pray incessantly and exercise faith before the Lord until he revealed to me the truth— and i was satisfied and and you know he's not the only one who said that it came from joseph smith even though joseph smith did not officially teach this before he dies in 1844 but joseph f smith who's a direct relative of joseph smith said in journal of discourses volume 20 pages 28 and 29 this is july 7th 1878 He said, when that principle was revealed to the prophet Joseph Smith, he very naturally shrank in his feelings from the responsibilities thereby imposed upon him. But he did not falter, although it was not until an angel of God with a drawn sword stood before him and commanded that he should enter into the practice of that principle, or he should be utterly destroyed or rejected, that he moved forward to reveal and establish that doctrine.
1: That doctrine. Now, I want to turn your attention to a citation made by Boyd K. Packer. And at the time he gave this talk, it was October 2nd, 1993, Elder Boyd K. Packer, who was at the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, gave a conference message titled, For Time and All Eternity. In this conference message, this is what Packer said, and it's going to tie everything together here. He said natural and spiritual laws which govern life were instituted from before the foundation of the world. They are eternal, as are the consequences for either obeying or disobeying them. They are not based on social or political considerations. They cannot be changed. No pressure No protest, no legislation can alter them. But yet we didn't see that with blacks not holding the priesthood. And there was a lot of pressure. There was a lot of protest. And it got altered. But you see, this is what I think, Eric, is the gaslighting that the leadership does to its people. If you don't know the history, wow, this sounds pretty good. But let me go on. He went on in this conference message to say, years ago, I supervised the Indian seminaries. On a visit to a school at Albuquerque, the principal told me of an incident that happened in a first-grade class. During a lesson, a kitten wandered into the room and distracted the youngsters. It was brought to the front of the room so all could see it. One youngster asked, Is it a boy kitty or a girl kitty? The teacher, unprepared for that discussion, said, It doesn't matter. It's just a kitten. But the children persisted, and one little boy said, I know how we can tell if it's a boy kitty or a girl kitty. The teacher, cornered, said, All right, you tell us how we can tell if it is a boy kitty or a girl kitty. The boy answered, We can vote on it. And then Packer says this Some things cannot be changed, doctrine cannot be changed. Now, in listening to that story in 1993, when he gave that story, I'm sure there was probably a lot of chuckles in general conference when the little boy said, we can vote on it. Yet that's how we're doing it today. It's even worse than that, Eric. Now you can change sex by a mere verbal decree. It's mind-boggling. And yet these are the people that say they're all into science. It's all you ignorant, uneducated ones out there that didn't go to an Ivy League school. You are the ones causing all the problems. But when he says some things cannot be changed, doctrine cannot be changed. Does that not sound very similar to what we're hearing Oakes say when he talks about a proclamation founded on irrevocable doctrine?
2: Do you think that if you were to ask Mr. Oakes, about the family proclamation, that he would think that's a direct commandment of the Lord. I would think in 1995, it definitely was. And I think he thinks that today by bringing it up. And yet you brought out the issue of race, along with polygamy. Both have been doctrines that have had changes to them. But the issue of race was dealt with in an official statement of the first presidency to BYU President Ernest L. Wilkinson. It was dated August 17, 1951, and quoted in John Lewis Lund, The Church of the Negro, pages 89 to 90. I think this is very telling. When the First Presidency said, The attitude of the Church with reference to the Negroes remains as it has always stood. It is not a matter of the declaration of a policy, but of direct commandment from the Lord on which is founded the doctrine of the Church From the days of its organization. Just as this was supposedly a direct commandment from the Lord, he's suggesting here, and not just suggesting, he's stating that the proclamation is irrevocable doctrine. It must be a commandment of the Lord. And as I said in yesterday's show, how do we know that this will always be? Because you're going to get a leader with the revelation that the church says it has to possibly make a change in the future.
1: You mentioned that statement of the first presidency to BYU President Ernest L. Wilkinson. That same statement from the First Presidency went on to say, The position of the church regarding the Negro may be understood when another doctrine of the church is kept in mind, namely that the conduct of spirits in the premortal existence has some determining effect upon the conditions and circumstances under which these spirits take on mortality. The LDS Church has tried to say that anybody giving a reason for blacks not being allowed to hold the priesthood That's based on speculation. But yet this statement, a statement from the first presidency, which is supposed to have some officiality, actually ties in that reason, the behavior of those in the pre-mortal existence. That doctrine is tied to another doctrine. It's not being looked upon as merely speculation. And it's interesting that you brought this out, Eric, because he uses that same word policy that the First Presidency statement used, it's not a policy. Well, now he's saying it's not a policy, it's a doctrine, it's an irrevocable doctrine. But yet that word irrevocable when you look at LDS history really doesn't mean a whole lot because apparently irrevocable doctrine can be revoked.
0: Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website, at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another Viewpoint on Mormonism.